0: This is Navigating the Hero's Journey, a podcast where we analyze movies and life through the works of Christopher Vogler and Joseph Campbell.
1: So, again, talking about um, Christopher Vogler's The Writer's Journey, and we... Are diving into the um, archetypes and then just getting into the heroes and mentors just so we can kind of break this up a bit. Um, you know when, uh, when I started reading it I mean I, I'm not super super well versed in all of the archetypes but mm-hmm. when we said let's talk about the heroes and mentors I'm like I mean really what, a, what more am I going to learn about it because I feel like everybody understands the hero and the mentor. And then even though it's only a couple of pages each, I'm just like furiously taking notes on it of there's so much to break down and take away from it. And I think the biggest thing that I learned with this is the fact that at least from Vogler's perspective, we shouldn't look at the archetypes as like a plug and play. Like you have your hero and that's the only person who's the hero and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, A big theme of what he's getting at with the Writer's Journey book is like, yes, there are screenwriters or studios or whatever that are like, here's our equation, plug and play and make a good movie. And that could work. But he's trying to say, let's steer away from that. And you need to think of not only like the story structure and the beats of it, but also the archetypes as more of an energy. Or I think he referenced it as like the hero... Could wear the mask of this other archetype or something. Sure. So I thought that was really interesting, um, and I think the movie that we're going to be talking about too, that Love and Monsters, the 2020 film, I think that's a really great example of yeah. structure and very well defined archetypes too, um, specifically for the hero and the mentor. Um. So yeah, what do you want to dive into the movie first? Where do you want to start with us?
0: Well, I mean, I, th- I think you're right. <clears throat> I think that's the biggest thing that, uh, and when I say the biggest. It, it's not the easiest thing to uh, to understand, but really, that's the that is one of the biggest takeaways from uh, Vogler's work is that these archetypes. Um, I mean, when you think about Joseph Campbell's book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, that's exactly what it's saying: is that um, yeah, the, the the hero, you know, comes across a lot of different characters that are all going to wear not just one mask, but sometimes several masks, different masks, and they can be used more. You know, to think I, you know, every time that I start to explain this to somebody, it, you know, I, I, I use the word energy, is that you have to look at the archetypes more as energies more so than the actual um, personified uh, you know image of of what. A lot of these things uh, will spark visually in people's minds. You know, like the the hermit or the the old man, the wise old man or a wise old woman. Um, yeah, they can. That's. I don't want to say it's a misconception, but I think that that it's it's it, that's almost become a stereotype for the archetype. Um, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but I do, uh, but that's, that's what's so interesting is that, you know, you can have a, you know, in the movie that we're about to talk about, there's a small, there's a, small, there's a child character who acts as a mentor for a portion of, of, the, of the film. Not, that's not her only uh, function or role in the, in the story, but at, at a certain point, she serves that purpose. She provides that energy that the hero needs to move forward in the story. Mm-hmm. So that that's I think that's the biggest <clears throat> takeaway that, especially in the, as we dive into the archetypes, is that try to get the whole idea. I think that to, to have that visual image, it helps at first, but then as you become more familiar with it, you start to think of it more of the energy, not just as the image of that energy or that archetype.
1: Yeah, I think another way that he put it too that I wrote down was, um, Think of the archetypes as flexible character functions and not yeah. rigid character types. Yeah. Um, and I, it was a really interesting lesson. And when I was reading this too, I was thinking back, um, you know, comparing it to different examples from movies. But even kind of reflecting on um, some discussions that we've had previously, one movie in particular that popped up a lot for me uh, that we've talked about in another podcast was *Parasite*. Um, which I don't want to like, you know, yeah. sidetrack this too far down a uh, discussion about Parasite since we're talking about Love and Monsters. But that one, the reason that one stood out to me so much with in the context of this reading is that I know a big part of our argument was who is the protagonist of the story or who is the, I don't even want to say hero of the story because that can shift to different characters. Um, but it really made me rethink that just the the function of a hero and not trying to write a story with, here is my hero, here he goes, or I shouldn't even say he, here they go. Um, but thinking it, as you put, like more of an energy of it's, it's a device to move the story forward and to have a lesson be learned or a sacrifice be made. And it doesn't just have to be your protagonist who is doing that, though that's traditionally yeah. what it is. So, yeah, really eye opening. Again, it's only a couple pages long for the hero section of this book, but it's so profound. Um, but also really well, digestible, too, not super dense, which is cool.
0: Yeah. Um, that's the thing that I think that makes this, you know, his work so. Um, has, it's been so successful is that he Campbell you know it's from a different era <clears throat> pardon me He, he um, his writing is very dense and at times um, yeah he's doing it very very you know very complicated uh, he's you know he, he's that guy is so brilliant not to say Christopher Vogler is not but I'm just saying that Campbell's mind was just so embedded in that in that whole world that um, it was like you if if you didn't have uh, you know just a different type of 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 teaching from a different time period it was almost as if um, hey if you can't keep up with what I'm teaching then you better then you better learn how to catch up where in in this day and age everything you know information is being passed so quickly um, that you kind of have to. Have somebody break some of those more complex, uh, you know, so, some of those, you know, some of those, his principles, some, some, of, some of the things that he talked. he really needs to be broken down in layman's terms for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a huge aid as far as uh, getting people that are, or would, would only be storytellers to becoming writers, so to speak. So uh, I think that's been very helpful, uh, with myself included. Um, but I, to go back to what you were saying Sarah with, with parasite the, that that movie is also also a great um, example of the dangers of that shadow mentor and what happens when you're following you know the uh, the advice and and the ideology of of the wrong mentor mm-hmm, mm-hmm you know that that's that's a lot of that in there as well
1: yeah yeah uh, um, yeah man I, Feel like we just need to have a whole nother discussion about that, but
0: I think go back and redo *Parasite*. Honestly, though,
1: <laughs> man, that's the fun thing about that movie, and why that script is so fantastic is because it's so layered. And every time you rewatch it, it's not just like, "Ooh, I caught a little thing again." Like you know, kind of a if you think of like really good comedy writing especially for a tv series the callbacks and the embedded jokes and stuff like that's always fun to rewatch and be like oh i didn't even get this because it was like set up or it's a nod to something else so not only do you have like that layer of parasite that's really cool but i feel like you can appreciate it from so many different angles of storytelling and the way that the um the structure kind of unfolds there but um and I think this has given me a a better outlook on my own writing of where I've had trouble of like like I got into storytelling and screenwriting in a very, very structural mathematical sense of like okay, I have to hit the inciting incident has to be on page yeah. ten if it's on eleven, I have failed, you know, <laughs> and yeah. um, and same thing with a hero of. Okay, the hero has to be this, 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 and they have to arc in this way, and they have to have the, you know, the showdown at this exact page. And so, I feel like that's where my own stories have been pretty stunted—is that it feels way too formulaic. Um, and I really liked the kind of the bigger concepts that Vogler gets into with each of these archetypes. I thought one really fascinating thing, uh, uh, with analyzing the hero from the psychological perspective, um, that not only is the hero traditionally there for the role of that self sacrifice, and it doesn't have to be for their own learning, but it could be for other people to kind of learn from them. But the psychological part of thinking as the hero, um, as the ego, if we're talking Freudian terms, and then taking that one step deeper of, um, The hero represents the separation from the mother, which is really neat. And if you think of it from that perspective in the, the overall hero's journey that traditionally you have the ordinary world and then the extraordinary world, and usually they return to the ordinary. It's, it's like that crossing the threshold is cutting the cord, so to speak, um, and learning to. I don't know, grow, be an adult, something like that. So I, I thought the psych- psychological aspect of this was really neat too.
0: Yeah, sure. The, the um, I, I think that's. I mean, most journeys, that's the way they're set up. You know, whether it's a, an outer journey, inner journey, is that it is uh, a lot of times it's there's very much a, a childlike wonder, or, or or that our hero um, possesses qualities and flaws and uh, personality traits that the reader or the audience can identify with and a lot of times the best way to figure out little quirks or little um, character traits that everyone is going to identify with is you go back to a childlike mindset when we because at one time we were all the the playing field was very level for most of us at you know at three four you know three to twelve years old you know depending on what culture you're brought up in and where you live, um, but when you're going for, you know, some sort of empathy, especially at the front, when you're trying to establish who that hero is and whose point of view we're going to be taking this journeys, you know, th- through whose eyes are we going to be seeing the story? Um, yeah, if you can dial tap back into that childlike, whether it's childlike fear, whether it's childlike wonder, whether it's the the, the child's uh, dependence on an, a a parent or uh sibling whatever uh um there has to be that you know th- that disconnect for someone to to fulfill themselves you know wholly as, as, a, as a human being to, to experience uh you know life in its fullest they have to separate themselves um at least in in this western westernized culture that's kind of what we believe or not believe it's just it seems to be what's popular now (laughs) right
1: it's just embedded Um, in our culture
0: and society it is it is right now and who knows what that's going to look like in another hundred years i have no idea right but um but 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 it does and and it's um yeah i I think that yeah just just backing up what you're saying from a psychological standpoint sure if you want to get into people's minds go back to when life was very simple and there weren't these fear you know these the weight of the world on your shoulders it's when you were a kid
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And a lot of times if you can tap into those, you know, that, that goodwill nature or that, or that humanistic quality that we all shared, it, it's, you know, in some way or another as as, as children, um, that's usually a good way to, to, to at least get the audience or reader to empathize with your hero, with your main character.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. And so to tie it into the movie, um, overall, I think... I enjoyed the movie and I think that it was well-structured and the pacing was great. It's not my favorite movie ever. um, And I I did feel like it was very, how do I want to say it, like expected. So I think this is a really great example of how having a tight structure and having very well-developed characters can make, really make or break a movie. I think if this movie with just the theme and some of the things that happen, I think if it didn't have a good structure or the characters weren't thought out, I think it would have been a disaster. Um, I tried to take it like with a grain of salt because I think part of my hesitation for really loving this movie was like, number one, it felt very reminiscent of Zombieland but you have this post-apocalyptic mutant bug monster situation going on. Um, but still it had a lot, a lot of the same beats of Zombieland. Um, I think the other thing too, is that it just feels a little too soon for a post-apocalyptic style story because we are living (laughs) in a pandemic, you know? Um, although. I say that and I watched it with Nick and he was like I thought that would bug me but it didn't. Um, He was in the same vein of like yeah if this would have come out when Zombieland did and I think if there's something else that he couldn't quite put his finger on of like what would have brought this movie up and over um, you know it could have been fantastic. But I think one of the big parts is our protagonist um, what's his name Joel? Joel? What a great character! Like right out of the gate. Um, mm-hmm. Last time,
0: if, if you if you were to look at a deck of tarot cards, he is the fool. Yeah. I mean, he. I mean, he goes right. I mean, he's got the dog. He's got just no no natural instincts for survival on, on the Literally, surface,
1: like in the negative spectrum, if yeah. that's even possible.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, now, when, now, now, if you're if we're looking at his psychological, if we're looking at his psychological makeup. As a hero, just give me a few things that you think, uh, you know, that, that, that are kind of covered here in, the, in um, this hero chapter. What kind of jumped out at you as far as establishing? Because I think they did a good job of really setting his ordinary world up and, you know, what this guy's all about and what his motives are very early.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's so well established right off the bat. Um, I was going to say in the last episode that we did, we talked about soul and analyzing character and how to make them empathetic and how soul was lacking a lot of those characteristics. Um, And again, that list is allow them to fail, put them in danger, give them a unique talent, show their care for others, treat them unjustly, have them experience loss and let them be the underdog. And I think that Joel is a lot. Let's go right
0: through the list. Let's go right through that list.
1: It's it's a lot of that. But then also to get to the psychological point that you're mentioning, mm-hmm. it's hugely that that concept of he needs to cut the cord. He is kind of being babied at his, um, his camp, you know, because he's got that the issue of just freezing in the face of danger. And that's such a a childlike reaction, which is understandable for a child because your parents are supposed to be there to protect you. And, you know, you haven't been pushed out of the nest just yet. So he already has those very adolescent character traits of just like someone else is going to take care of it, though it's admirable that he's like well, I can grab a weapon and I can help you, and it's kind of the same way of like a little kid being like, "Daddy, hey, Dad, I yeah, yeah." Like you're I've like, got a hammer. Do? Like no, yeah. you know,
0: you're just going to get in the way, and other people are going to get hurt because you are present. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think another thing that they did really well with establishing his character is giving him a lot of character flaws, and I think that's one thing that some characters tend to lack, which makes them hard to find you know, a way to like, not just empathize with them, but I don't know, appreciate them is that if they're, I know everything. I'm so talented. I am flawless as far as like shooting a weapon. So I'm never going to be in danger. It's just really boring. But for him, he has so many flaws that it's this huge room for improvement, that it's going to be a bigger journey than somebody who's like cocky and know-it-all.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, he absolutely it's, it's funny now that we're talking about it and, and you look at the whole movie because even when you go back and, re- and, and reevaluate the flashbacks and how they tie in and almost separate that story and put it all up front before this even really kicks off it really does lay out um, I think they did a really good way of layering that in uh, because if you think about it he is 17 years old when all this happens, you know, when, when the world is ending, as, as we all know it, and he literally is cut from the cord in this, in, a, in an instant. His parents are killed in front of him. What is the very next thing that happens? I don't know. In, in his story, he goes from the cord was just cut, and he's frozen. While he's frozen, they're looking at his parents. The group of people that get him out of there that he lives with grab him. It's a truck that's driving by, and they see what just happened. They grab him, and they take him away while he's still frozen.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So really, he was cut from the cord there, but immediately taken in by another family as the young 17-year-old. And now, we're now seeing seven years later, he is still frozen in that moment.
1: Exactly. Well, and that's- He's
0: never grown out of adolescence because that he serves the same function in his new family.
1: Yeah. I I mean, really, I'm no psychologist or trained social worker, anything like that. But just from my basic understanding, it's a common theme with trauma, especially Mm -hmm. a childhood trauma, depending on the severity of it. It seems like a lot of people tend to kind of get stuck in that age, that mental age when the trauma happened, um, because you just kind of freeze in that moment. And then your brain is just trying to contain everything and protect you. So then you're not venturing out past it to grow mentally beyond that. So it makes absolute sense that he is stunted emotionally because of the trauma. And as you said, I think it could have been different if the, the other family, so to speak, that picked him up, if they would have, you know, thrown him to the wolves and been like, grab a gun. Here we go. You got to learn, you know, fly by the seat of your pants. I think that would have been different. I think he would have overcome it. But the fact that they kept him in that same position
0: is... Well, I think he also had a couple, <clears throat> yes, it sounded like he had a couple opportunities where they, they got to see him in uh, That's true. on the battlefield. Right. And they're like, yeah, you freeze. We don't need you. You're a liability. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. when he sits there goes, why does this sound so rehearsed? <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's like they've all been talking about it for quite a while. Yeah. So
1: then that goes to show you that his way of learning through this journey that's going to unfold in the movie is not going to be by somebody just, like, one-on-one, you know, training him and doing that kind of thing. He kind of has to have breadcrumbs there, and then he learns as he goes. And I think that's how the mentors that he came across worked out
0: so well because— You're this movie is just lo- I mean, to talk about a movie to, to to go over hero and mentor. It's just one hero after. I mean, it's a road trip, so you you have the you know you have the structure to be able to do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> you know, where you meet a different mentor along the way that 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 adds a new uh, shade to to the to the characters, the uh, whole essence. But I, some of these heroes were really, I mean, some of these mentors were really interesting, and and I mean, we'll get into it in a second. But once they start. Kicking off, they're coming from every direction. Mm-hmm. And the thing of it is for a, a character like this who is just so such a fish out of water, you have to throw c- continual mentors at these characters. Yeah, you know and so, some some may be good mentors, some may be bad, but they have to be constantly growing mm-hmm. um, you know to, able to, for them to be able to make this unbelievable journey. With, no, with zero skill set in that department, you need a band of mentors. And, yeah. Uh, that's, that's one thing I thought was done uh, really well with this, is, is that each mentor serves a very different function, uh, teaches a different lesson. And um, yeah, I, I thought they did a good job with that.
1: I wish, what, that, um, I wish that we could have spent more time with the, um, the duo that he runs into, the little girl and the guy. I feel like they really stole the show, and I like that at the end they set it up almost for a sequel that kind of features them oh, with yeah. them standing there. Um, the Clyde
0: and, and Minnow?
1: Yeah. I. Yeah. I think, that, honestly, they were the most entertaining and fascinating characters. I,
0: I love well, how they folded into see the Michael, story. It's neat to see Michael Rooker in that mentor-type character. Because usually playing such a you know mm-hmm. scuzzball mm-hmm. in most of his, I mean, but he's a he's a lovable, um, scum, you know scumball in most of his movies, but or and and even with uh, uh, Walking Dead, but um, yeah, it was neat to see him in that role, you know that that and and you know his character is definitely um, he you know he talks about a few different types of mentors and. He's definitely, uh, he definitely, which, I'm trying to think which exactly, what mentor it was that he kind of, oh man.
1: Well, you've got like the, under the type section, multiple mentors for sure, because you've got
0: the two yeah. of them. Oh, sure. Yeah, the whole movie's peppered um, with them.
1: I don't know.
2: He, I, mean,
0: he, I mean, he kind of falls into that shaman mentor. Mm-hmm. You know where this guy? I mean, he lives in the special world. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he lives on the surface, which is unheard of. Nobody's living on the surface. Yeah, I this feel guy like is with this little girl, and they've figured out a way to almost become a part of the new landscape of the of the of the Earth, I, and they connect with these creatures. And that's they have a, a language with it that they can speak with them.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like they name all the characters or the the monsters. I think in that same vein. Um, he kind of feels like the continuing mentor. And the example that Vogler was using was M and Q from the Bond series. Yeah. And the, the point that you made that made me think of that too was that they live in that extraordinary world um, yeah. and they're surviving on the surface and that's just their norm. And that's the same way of Q and M. It's like, yeah, no, this is this is our day to day. Let me just show you the ropes. Let me start the story for you. Um, so it doesn't phase them, but they provide the gifts and the knowledge and everything for the hero
0: yeah the um, yeah that, that uh, Clyde character and I mean the minnow character too it, it's a little bit different you know I think she's she's actually the first one that says you know don't settle and then and then Clyde kind of takes that even further by saying even at, even at the end of the world, you don't have to settle mm-hmm. which was a pretty neat um yeah that, that was a that was a really cool line i thought uh, which is originally hers that he kind of takes from her but uh you know builds upon it but it just goes to show that those multiple mentors just kind of working in tandem there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, to really drive that home um, but i mean he really when you when you look at everything how the hell it kind of lines up who would you say is his initial mentor but you know what before we get into that let's, let's just come let's just fin- uh, kind of finish talking about his uh some of some of his qualities <clears throat> i know we talked about you know go, go through that list again do you have that in front of you
1: yeah so for making a character empathetic the list and this was the one that we referenced in soul 2 these are just a couple of ways that you can make a character empathetic so allow them to fail put them in danger give them a unique talent
0: show All right, what is his uni- what is his unique talent you know
1: that's the only one that i'm kind of bumping on um, think, think about it.
0: What is what is he actually what does he have at the end? What is the elixir that he brings back?
1: I mean love is he, brings that?
0: Back the, he brings back the monster manual.
1: Okay, yeah. Wow. I, I fucked bra- that he, one up. You can bra- just what, edit what out it, my part. His, yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> his his whole skill set is he he's an artist. He can draw. Oh, he can see yeah. things visually and cre- recreate them Duh. so that he can kind of pass that down, you know, to you know, take that back to his colony. And then and then at the end, you know, not to spoil it all, but the elixir is also he kind of turns he kind of starts his own podcast. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, sending that the message out to all the colonies, you know, with information that is from the monster manual. Yeah. Or I, I don't, what, what does he call it?
1: Oh, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm calling it
0: that from D&D, but. Yeah, it's something um,
1: like Guide to Monster Apocalypse Volume 1, yeah. some, something like that. Yeah, I guess when uh, when I was trying to think of the unique talent, I kept thinking, well, his care for others is really significant, sure. but that's not a unique sure. talent, but I mean, he loves Amy so much that he's willing to sacrifice his life to get, you know, what 85 miles across this treacherous territory. And then he loves unconditionally the world so much that he is willing to share this knowledge and help everyone. And then he loves his community so much, his original uh, camp, that he knows that he needs to get back there and help them. So, I mean, is it a unique talent is it even a talent i think it's more of a trait. so the next line of um or the uh bullet points for making them empathetic show their care for others is very significant for him in
0: this the um the one i mean and again it kind of ties back into him being kind of locked in there as a seven he's a 24 year old man but he's stuck in you know psychologically he's stuck in this mindset of a 17 year old teenager yeah and the thing that works well with this is, is that most 24 year old guys are not going you know they've, they don't still have that 17 year old passion and and like that that uh, that hopeless romantic you, that usually you know not for everybody but that a lot of times that fades mm-hmm. especially especially in a world that's just that, that he's living it that's become his his ordinary world in a world filled with violence and uncertainty you know it's very easy for that passion to go away and then you have you talk about just just molding this this uh, you know creating this perfect gem of a a protagonist or hero is that he has such a undying love for this girl he wants to be with her and I think that at the beginning of the movie they were about to be intimate for the first time and then this whole apocalypse is what stops that Mm mm-hmm so and now he is surrounded by a colony where everybody has hooked up and everybody is having sex in the open everyone's found their soulmate except for him
1: right which i'm kind of <laughs> surprised that he didn't end up with the the other girl in his camp um karen
0: the boss that has the baby
1: no no uh, she was the blonde girl and she even wrote on his map like yeah i hope you return or come back soon or something like that um it seemed like that could have been a potential love interest, and I was thinking the journey was going to be he goes to the camp, finds out seven years, Amy's already with another guy. Yeah. That sucks, okay, but now I'm going to come back and then find out that, oh, this whole time I should have just been with Karen. And I, I think I'm glad it didn't go that way, but I think it's that— It's still open to. It could have been explored, and maybe that's in the sequel.
0: I don't know. Yeah, that, that I mean, in the sequel, now you, now you kind of have— yeah, there's potential to have both Amy and— uh, the girl, Karen, mm-hmm. trying to kind of, uh, you know, that could, that could be some conflict there.
2: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: But but it is, you know, it, because you have this guy who's stuck in this adolescent mindset. He's in this world that he's not even able to grow. I mean, he can't grow. He's, he's literally being kept underground. He can't, you know, he can't breathe in fresh air. He can't go out and experience the world at all. I mean, there's an absolute roof and, and and a cap of on, on how much growth this character can have. But it is really the the first mentor there, the first one it kind of comes as a call to adventure and and a mentor all kind of in one. But <clears throat> when we uh with Amy, she is the drive. It it's his it's his love for her. It it's you know, his his flashbacks to her and she actually is the first one. Do you remember the whole line there where he said i'll, I'll come you know, i'll come for you and she says you better and she had just given him a good luck charm
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she
0: gives him a gift which is a little crocodile right as soon as he gets the good luck charm this thing falls from the sky and misses him by inches but kills his whole family yeah it's like this thing i mean yeah it is a good luck charm and the last thing she says is you better come find me mm-hmm. that's all this guy has to go off of right right and when he finally makes contact with her. Uh, on the radio, it's like, man, she's eighty-five miles away. I am out of here. Mm-hmm. That's that is my purpose now, and I so I think they did a really good job, especially in that first act of setting him up to, you know, to to uh, to, to separate from that that uh, ordinary world or his colony.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, one thing that I wish that they would have explored more that might have added maybe some depth or another kind of. B storyline or something else in here is that they touched on um gosh what was it when he met the when he met Clyde Minnow and said he was from I think it's like Fairfield or something Fairfield, is, yeah. is the town he's from they and said you
0: made it out of there
1: yeah and saying like I haven't met anybody who made it out of Fairfield and then Amy of course is from there too and presumably the only person at her camp from there I kind of wish they would have explored that and had something bigger to it of like an extra level of knowledge or skill or something of oh yeah fairfield is where i don't know this particular monster originated so we've seen it we've been the ones to see it and i think that could have been neat and i'm a little sad that they let that um potential storyline drift away
0: well it it also kind of uh i think probably the reason they didn't go into that is because as long as they leave it as well, when he says you made it out of Fairfield, well I don't know what you did but you must be a survivor I'm sure there is guilt involved on his end on uh, Joel's end because he didn't do anything to get out of there yeah, he was rescued immediately and taken by his new family, the the colony to safety so I think that there's also a sense of guilt there, Where what did I do to deserve to even live I made it out of there only by sheer luck. Yeah. Um, whereas, it, you know, you almost wonder how Amy got out of there. You know, th- yeah, th- that would be neat to hear her story. Um,
1: well, it's, it's interesting now that I think about it, and this is another one of these reasons why I love doing these discussions about movies is because I might go into it being like, oh, I hate this movie, and then talk about it like this and have this critical discourse. And it makes me reevaluate and appreciate it differently. As I'm looking at my notes from Vogler's book, um, some of the functions of the mentor, of course, like traditional teaching or gift giving that's, that's known. But also he noted, um, motivate the hero and then Mm -hmm. plant info or props. And I think that that's exactly what that whole throwaway Fairfield, almost a MacGuffin feeling moment was Mm -hmm. not so much of a new thread of a storyline, but after talking now, I feel like that was exactly of motivating the hero unconsciously. It's like, you must have it in you. If you got out of Fairfield, you've got it in you. So then there's that little spark of like, oh, maybe I can do it, even though really no, he didn't do anything. And then planting kind of that info there too of like oh yeah i did it once i i could do it again yeah again even though it's juxtaposed with he didn't do anything and potential like guilt or even survivor's guilt or things like that so it but that's good because then you have a positive and a negative going on you have a great conflict with just the concept of am i or can i be a hero yeah
0: yeah um and and with that good luck charm again I mean yes it's planted up front and we really don't get back to it until he says goodbye to her at the end before he goes back to his colony he gives it back to her Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and it's almost like hey I've done this before I don't need I don't need that I know that I have it within me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know it's almost like from the moment she gave him that good luck charm yes he's been able to survive you know the the worst that life could throw at you Mm -hmm. but he made it and he realizes like hey you know what I have it in me now, so someone else can use this. Right,
1: right. You and know? and I mean that's a, a cliche moment in a lot of hero stories of passing that off. Of I don't need this anymore. You can you can put it to better use now. I have the skills. I don't need that that crutch, so to speak.
0: that, that is a lot of what, what he was saying, especially with that whole planting thing. for you know, meant for the audience to know but forget until the the uh, climactic moment where the gadget becomes a lifesaver. Again, that grenade also acts as a plan. Clyde gives him that grenade, and we know he's going to use it for a big moment, (laughs) even when he gives it to him. But there's probably another 15, 20 minutes before he uses that thing again against the queen, uh, queen, uh, whatever the creature is, sand uh, gulper or whatever. The one that comes out of the like a shark mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, can come out of the uh, soil.
1: It's like the tremors um, worm.
0: Be very similar. Yes, <laughs> it was. It was interesting to see all the different, um, you know, and and that's. I think that's what a lot of people confuse with archetypes. Is uh, it would be more like uh, tropes? You know, like different genres use certain tropes. Um, you know, like. Uh, I think in the, I think in actually what he, the examples he uses is like the good hearted uh, prostitute and the, uh, you know, the, the battle ridden um, uh, war hero, you know, the things that would be popular in that Western genre. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas those are more, a lot more specific. Uh, I think they're based off of actual archetypes, but they definitely, um, yeah those become more stereotypes than anything tropes i think um whereas the archetypes are it's a lot more general but again it's the i guess the root of all those tropes is the actual archetypes but it's the energy not so much the actual uh, personified image of what is in the story Mm
2: -hmm, mm mm-hmm yeah
1: Um, and that i think that goes back to the concept of it, the archetype being more of the flexible character functions and not so much the character type or that trope or that cliche um, Yeah. that they're a little more fluid than that
0: um, Let me ask you a, a real quick question it's, you know, it may be a little off topic but if mm-hmm. there was any other, just because I think it, it kind of could go well with what we're talking about here with hero and mentor but if there was another character in this story that you'd want to see this story taken from their point of view? Or is there anybody else?
2: Hmm,
1: That's a good question. I, I did like, um, even though this is, I don't know how much of a story there would be, but uh, Mavis, I thought, yeah, even though that robot. might be kind of like a Wally story, But it was Mm -hmm. it was really interesting that moment of growth for both of them when they come together in the middle of the movie. And I think didn't she say like she hasn't been outside in so long or never been outside since all this happened?
0: Seven years, pretty much. She was under. She was stuck under the roof the same amount of time that he had been stuck underground.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's
0: kind of where I thought it was kind of paralleling their experience through the whole uh, the apocalypse.
1: Right, right. Is
0: that they were, you know, they were this new, she was this new technology that everybody was raving about. The same way that a senior in high school is like, hey, that's the prime of your life. You're about to go out and take, a, you know, you know, this is great things are ahead uh, in the near future for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the same way that, yeah, uh, Mavis, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. The robot, uh, yeah, that was the hot technology right before all this shit the bed. (laughs) the whole world shit the bed. And they've been stuck inside, not able to, again, I'm gonna say that word, grow, because growth is so important for, especially your hero. I mean, it's great for every character, but especially your your hero. There are, there are, you know, there are heroes that don't require that. A lot of times, like your catalyst hero, uh, hero, uh, they're more of a central figure that gets everyone else to transform. That's a little bit different, but most... Uh, and those stories are a little bit different, uh, structured a little bit differently because everyone else around them is tra- is changing, not mm-hmm. so much them. They, they pretty much start and finish the story unchanged. Um, there's not a whole lot of arc. But for most stories, most hero's journey uh, type stories, yeah, your character has to... Uh, has to show growth um, and whether they're successful or not at achieving whatever it is they set out to their goal that's kind of uh, irrelevant a lot of the time because what really has to happen for a good character is they have to grow in some way mm-hmm. it can be just a shade uh, of growth in one direction or another but that that's really ultimately that has to happen
1: mm-hmm. and I think the more in- interesting characters grow more than just that little sliver going back to what i was saying earlier about him having so many flaws as it's a lot of room for improvement that makes it fun to watch him grow and learn and have those aha moments and i think it helps the audience identify with the character more because you i mean the purpose of the hero is as vogler says it's the audience's window into the story so we're kind of living vicariously through the hero, or we can identify with them somehow. Um, so yeah, you're you're on that journey with them. So if it's just a dull, flat one with like, oh, okay, I learned, I learned a little bit. Cool. I guess it wasn't a waste of time. But it's more of a roller coaster when it's like, how can this character possibly overcome this adversity? They are just so flawed, no skills, totally hopeless, absolute underdog. So it's really rewarding that you're in the driver's seat with them and going through that journey. Um, again, which is why I think Joel's character was strong.
0: Yeah. Now, if we were to look, if we were to just for a minute here, <clears throat> to compare Joel's character to Joe Gardner's character in Soul, because essentially these movies are kind of saying, delivering the same message. It's go out and live your life, get out there, get out into the world, and you know give give back, get, give you know, just become a part of it all. Mm-hmm. So the, the the theme is kind of very similar to soul. Now, how they execute it is totally different, but I think right at right at, the, uh, right at the root of I think, some of the issues in soul is right there with your character, with your protagonist absolutely <clears throat> whereas from the from the very beginning you've seen enough flaws and you've seen enough good naturedness and, and empathy on our main characters part very early we see that they're very selfless
2: mm-hmm.
0: the problem with joe Gardner's character is for the entire movie up until that moment of enlightenment he is selfish completely different Mm-hmm. That's a completely different journey. and I think it's okay for a lot of heroes to start off in that that selfish mindset. <clears throat> a lot of times they do. It's very much ego-driven, it's very much me, I, I. Um, and then they learn that they can't do it by themselves. Um, whereas with Joe Gardner's character, it just uh, he never reached any redeeming qual- he, at least in my opinion, d- didn't reach a lot of redeeming qualities that he needed to in order to get to that final moment of enlightenment.
1: Um, I think it's interesting to bring up Joe Gardner's character compared to Joel here. Um, One of the points that Vogler gets into too with the heroes, uh, for a standard hero, you usually have a willing hero and an unwilling hero. And then you can also consider an anti-hero, which is traditionally the tragic hero, that something bad has happened to them and that's kind of their motivation Um, for that you know the trajectory of the story and then the other antihero is the cynical hero and it's almost like you want to say Joe Gardner is a cynical antihero but usually that's someone that's just not likable but they still have some of these beats of a good character um, or sorry a good hero in that journey and going back to that character empathy list I think even an anti-hero is going to check a lot of these boxes. And I so fundamentally, I think that is where Joe Gardner's character falls horrifically flat. So with that list, allow them to fail. We know Joel fails right off the bat. He freezes in the face of danger. He's yep. stunted emotionally. You know, there's a long list of things he's failing with. Joe Gardner doesn't fail. He's successful. He's a teacher. He gets offered a full-time position. He gets a yes on that gig opportunity. There's not really failure. And he's not like...
0: Doors just keep opening for Joe Gardner. Exactly.
1: We're not seeing anything... Until the
0: the manhole opens and he falls into it. But
1: even then, it's not like he failed. He's just kind of going on to a different journey where he starts to learn how to work the system. So that
0: he's just miserable no matter how good his life is going.
1: Right, but not even cynical enough in an unlikable, like, oh, I hate you, but I love you and I want you to succeed. He's just like a very flat character. Put them in danger. He's not really in danger. He's, Joe Gardner's able to kind of control the situation of like, oh, I found a way that I can get back to my body. And it's all very selfish yes he died but then he didn't really die he's just kind of in limbo like in a coma so it's you still don't have that full danger um sure the unique talent he's an accomplished musician and teacher and all that but um i know last time we talked about like showing that they care for others even though he's a teacher and all that he doesn't really latch on to that um treat them unjustly yeah i think that's just it is he's got like one of those boxes checked and the rest is just super flat line versus joel is like check all of them he's a very interesting character he's got a big hill to climb and that's what helps to keep the movie moving forward too
0: well i mean also right out of the shoot you're giving you're giving Joe Gardner, it, it, it's, it's interesting how skill sets will work. Yes, <clears throat> they have to have something they're very good at, which clearly Joe Gardner, not to make this whole thing about soul again, <laughs> mm-hmm. <clears throat> but the, I'm just trying to compare the two of them. Joe Gardner's skill is he's this unbelievable piano player, just a jazz piano player where, where it's just second nature. This guy is unbelievable. Um, like he's world, pretty much world class. Um, that's almost like a superpower in, in, in some people's eyes as far as you can play like that, then why can't you go out and just just play and make a living doing that? Which clearly, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You have the skills to be able to do it. He also has the ability to teach children, which is a huge skill set. Most people don't do not have either one of those. So right out of the shoot, we't most people can't identify with this guy's skills. Yeah, I guess there's self doubt there, but who doesn't have that? And it's it's not strong enough because this guy should be succeeding in life. He should be happy. There's no reason other than he's got he's gotten in the way of himself. Mm-hmm. Whereas Joel, <clears throat> he doesn't have any of the skills that he needs to survive in his world anymore he he doesn't he, he's basically a child in this world who needs to depend on other people and but the thing of it is is that if we were all ninety five 95 of the people if this was the situation of the world right now we'd be in the same shoes as him we wouldn't know how you know most people wouldn't know how to go off and live live off the land and be able to defend themselves and to protect their loved ones that's a skill set that most people don't have. So when they see this guy struggling through it, immediately, immediately they're like, well, that's probably how I would screw that up too. I wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. So you're identifying with this guy every step of the way. Right. You know, you're seeing this guy, whether it's he, you know, he, he's getting, uh, you know, he, he's dealing with some creature he's never seen before. We've never seen it either. So it's happening all kind of in real time,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, for the audience at least, <clears throat> um, in seeing through... Uh, that window of, or the, or the eyes of that character, it, it, there's, as the, there's just a separation there with a character like Joe Gardner, because a lot of the redeeming qualities aren't strong enough for people to identify with and to latch onto.
1: Right. Well, and again, going back to that list, treat them unjustly or put them in danger or something like that. I think those are really big parts of what failed with Joe Gardner's character, and I think we got into this in the Soul discussion of. Had he, you know, been given the opportunity for uh, whether it's the full-time gig or or full-time teaching or that jazz gig, that there had to have been like a life or death style situation of, oh, if you take this teaching gig, you can't go with the jazz band and vice versa. And, oh, you have to take one of them because you can't keep up on your bills or something like that would have helped... For most audiences to relate and say, yeah. gosh, I know how they feel because I feel like I took, you know, the muggle job as it were, because I couldn't make enough doing my creative job. And I think you yeah. would have had a stronger attachment with the audience. And that's absolutely, as you said, what works so well here with Joel's character and why I think just that development and his, his backstory and everything that went into character building for him made this film work, I think it yeah. would have been easy to have it fall flat.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, yes, but I, I keep <clears throat> pardon me, I keep thinking about that Joel Gardner character. So I know. Hard. I know. It's hard. Cause, cause um, it's, the way I'm looking at it right now, it's like they, tr- they tried to <laughs> get, we were ripping on this movie again.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but it's almost like they tried to, they basically told the, the same story that they've been telling with the, uh, uh, was it Charles Dickens' uh, Christmas Carol? The, the, the story of Scrooge. Yeah. Right. They're basically telling that story, but they added in certain devices and they took certain devices out that made that character empathetic finally. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it. it. It didn't come across that way with, with Joe Gardner. Well, so that, in, in other.
1: Right there is the cynical anti hero that you have Scrooge who's just this absolute piece of shit mm-hmm. and a total tyrant. And so you, he's so bad, you hate him. And you're yeah. like, I just hope you rot in hell. I hope that's where the ghosts are taking you. Yeah. But he is pushed into these situations of having to like open old wounds. And so it's kind of that treat him unjustly. Um, you get a sense of like danger when he's with the, the ghost of Christmas future, or whatever, however they phrase it that's like staring at his grave so there's that kind of danger there and so you even though him as a standalone character doesn't have all of those boxes checked about making him empathetic that's where these mentors the ghosts are stepping in and saying here you go i'm putting you in danger here you go i'm treating you unjustly and then he it feels like an underdog moment that he pivots from this piece of shit cynical old man to oh my god no he's just you know, had a rough go of it, and has had some hard decisions he's had to make, of like losing the love of his life and that kind of thing. That then, by the end of the movie, you feel empathetic. And Soul doesn't well, do that.
0: Well, again, uh, with the whole story, I can't remember. Was the name they keep bringing up in Soul? Was it Lisa? Who's yeah, lost the love?
1: that girl. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. See that again. I know we've, we've talked about that before, but. Um, with that storyline just being so flat and and doesn't go anywhere, I think that's where at least in the Bill Murray version of Scrooge or Scrooge Uh-huh. Um, that's what brings him that's what really works well for that story was him trying to get back to that to that person he was when he was uh, energetic and excited about life mm-hmm. with this young woman.
1: Well, and for uh, Soul, it could have been even his dad. Because I yeah. know the Lisa storyline was one and done super quickly, closed mm-hmm. that door. But his dad, we kept revisiting that. Yeah. And it would have been perfect for him to see his dad as a mentor in the, uh, the what is it, like the time before or the place before or something? I forget. The
0: the great before. There we go, the great yeah. before.
1: <laughs> um, so, like, running into his dad there towards the end and learning a big lesson about appreciating life would have could have salvaged this but um you know i this is kind of shifting it way in a different direction but i wanted to get back to uh love and monsters and talk about it as i said i didn't love the movie i enjoyed it it was entertaining and i feel like the problem is it was very expected and a lot of cliches and very predictable um sure there were some turns that i didn't necessarily predict like with Amy I expected her to have been with another guy and still with him and she did say like I love somebody and then I lost him so it's like yeah okay that happened but then everything was fine. I wonder if a big portion of it is in the extraordinary world when he's on the surface and going through that journey which is a pretty big part of it. I think I... I struggled with that, and that area felt the most flat to me because it felt like a a repeat, I don't want to say gag in a comical sense, but repeat beats, I suppose, of, okay, I'm walking along and minding my own business. Uh-oh, here comes a monster. Got to outrun it or outsmart it. Whew, okay, I survived that. Uh-oh, walking along, there's another monster. You know what I mean? Like, it just yeah. felt like that, and each time... Yes, he does get something that kind of adds to his tool chest or kit of skills of like he runs into boy who is the cutest dog ever and, you know, helps him. And then the next time that he runs into trouble, then the two mentors come in and step in and say that, you know, and so, yes, it does kind of progress up. But each of those scenarios just felt so overplayed. It's the same thing, like... Okay, well, the, again, the snail again, wanted the shirt, but one wanted to eat a grenade. I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, <clears throat> the, 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 I mean, I get especially with this, um, you know, this adventure or, or, or road trip structure that, you know, most road trips fo- kind of followed us, uh, just moving from one spot to the next spot to the next spot along this, you know, pretty much plot. Your, your plot points are pretty much you could plot on an actual map. Right, right. Um, and it that's one thing is that these movies tend to be very mentor heavy and I think I think I was a reason why I think it, at least I was kind of drawn to this was because it was so heavy because uh, each stop you get to learn a new lesson
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah do they get repetitive after a while in a, in a two hour movie they can yeah um, but what I think did work at least for me in this was knowing that Especially once I realized what he was doing, <clears throat> once I realized he was he was making a monster manual, um, I realized that he had to go through all these different little. Some of them may have have, have been similar, but they were nuanced enough where it would have added more information for him to put into the into the elixir into the book that is going to become the new Bible for survival mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for human beings, essentially. Um. So it was almost, I kind of let some of that go because it was like, all right, he also had to learn this little bit to cover that and then this. Um, even, even the stuff where, um, I mean, a, a huge lesson that he learns from Clyde and, and Minnow is that all these creatures are good-natured. It's just that if they think you're going to be aggressive, you know, it, she, I think she says not all of them, but most of them are good-natured. And that, as long as you can kind of be calm around them and be able to, you, that you can actually live with them or live, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the same world alongside them. Um, but, uh, which ends up, you know, that, that, high, that highest moment of, you know, that, that climactic moment where he's face to face with that electro <laughs> electrocuted, uh, giant crab. Um, and he has that connection with it. It's like, all right, that's a lesson that he absolutely learned back on page 55, whatever. Um, but it came, it, it's, it's now, what was planted earlier is now paying off now, and it's paying off pretty big. You know, that was a lesson he definitely had to learn because he needs it right this second. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also the lesson that he had to learn that in his connection with these other creatures and everything, is absolutely the reason that this girl, uh, Amy, is attracted to him now. Mm-hmm. He's, she doesn't look at him like he's this teenage uh, Joel. She just looks at him like, wow, this guy not only just kicked ass, but he did something that was godlike. Yeah, he that I've never seen any man, woman, any human being ever do was he. He made a connection with these creatures mm-hmm. that are that are you know, potential threats to us every single day, and he can communicate somehow with them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, that's huge. Not just in the storyline, but in, in the ongoing potential storylines, is this guy now has this... It's almost like he speaks with... Uh, you know, I, I I know I refer to D&D a lot, but it's like he has this new skill set of being able to speak with animals, or at least right. communicate in some way. Um, so... Yeah, it's just to get back to what you, were, I forgave a lot of those repetitive scenes because the, the the lessons being taught were nuanced enough, at least for me, to, uh, to be satisfied with that.
1: I think you bring up an interesting point regarding his monster manual and the skill that um, or the talent he's bringing to the table here. And yeah, certainly when he learns the lesson of like, oh, you can tell by their eyes, they're friendly. And then that, that is a setup for a payoff with a crab later. That's fine. Again, that kind of goes into the, it's very heavy handed. The foreshadowing is super on the nose. You know, exactly what's going to happen. You know, there is no failure with any of these things that he's learning. So it works like it all is structurally sound and it works and it's a nice tight story but i wish that there would just be like another pass at the story another layer like build upon it a bit you know um it's like we're building a sand castle and you're using the the sand castle molds and then okay i'm done but i want to see them go back for like a second third fourth rewrite where they're putting the decor on the castle and then digging a moat around it Mm. Doing that kind of thing. And one of the things that came to mind when you were talking about the monster manual and that kind of storyline that weaves in here, I think what I would have liked to have seen is a little more of, um, how do I want to say him being able to like blossom a little bit without being, having someone hold his hand in that blossoming. So with the the way that he's heroic and godlike at the end, that's because somebody handed him that skill of look for the friendly eyes, right? What would have been neat is, and even if this played out like earlier in the story and then we can still do the friendly eyes thing, that's cool, but with the monster manual, his talent is he's really good at capturing these monsters and the details about them and drawing them and writing some of the notes of like, ooh, they don't like this or watch out for that. What could have been cool is with that skill of like, wow, great attention to detail because you're an artist. If say at one point in the journey, there's like a slug monster that looks like one that they came across before, they've come across a couple, but he's like, oh no, look at my manual. No, no, no. He's got that tiny blue stripe. That means he's not, you know, venomous or whatever it is, you know, that that skill could have come in handy of him being...
0: I think that they kind of went for that with the with the anti-venom uh, flowers. Um, when but he's that kind wasn't,
1: of, it wasn't so much him like, I've drawn it. It was, hey, do you see that bright plant among the ferns? Grab
0: that. I, I, I think, well, I, I, again, I'm just trying to assume what, what they were probably trying to do. I, I think that they were trying to, because basically this guy has a photogenic memory, mm-hmm. is what Joel's, you know, which he can artistically, you know, communicate to people um he can capture images in his mind and recreate them uh i think what i i i think it's with words as well because he talked about how he can he has all of it in his head he can make another one mm-hmm. um but but I, at least i took it as when he was in that that uh, moment of kind of that psychedelic experience where he's kind of fighting death but still kind of hallucinating he was able to capture the what he had seen before and identified it because of his, most people, if you said like, Hey, that's poison Oak and that's poison Ivy. People are like, yeah, sure. You right. ask him 20 <laughs> minutes later and they'd be like, Oh shit. Which Wait, the one with three, the one with three leaves. <laughs> most people don't remember that right away. Right. Someone right. who has a, a mind like that, they're going to see an orchard or, or a plant and be like, wait a minute. That's the city. where most of us would be like, I don't know. It looks like a plant to me.
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: You know, so, so I, I think, at least I think that's what they went for there. You know, I, I, it could have, been, could have been stronger, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, at least I think that's what they were going for. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know,
0: with, with, with him. Um, but who knows? Who knows? The, uh, um, there was, uh, at the beginning of the mentor chapter, uh, he kind of goes through the, the history of, of where the word mentor uh, came from, and it was from the, uh, the Odyssey, Homer's uh, The Odyssey. And uh, there's a character named Mentor who guides uh, Telemachus, who's the, who's the uh, protagonist, the, 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 I'm sorry, the young hero, uh, Telemachus. And um, it's actually the goddess Athena who comes in the form of this character, Mentor. And I just thought, right there, that is a really good example of how these archetypes work more as energies than as actual um, personified images or, or stereotypes or tropes. Also, would be another word that would be used. But um, how it's the, the the goddess, that that higher being, that 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 higher self, so to speak, mm-hmm. can come down and and kind of. Uh, its energy gets pass, can pass through another character, so to speak. Um, and I thought that that was a really good way to break that down and at least show you from the very get-go where this word comes from. Is It's a teacher named Mentor who was actually the, word of a, the words of a goddess were coming through him, through, through that character. Uh, but it was the energy of that god. I'm really goddess.
1: I'm really glad that you brought that part up because um, that's something I wanted to mention earlier but didn't know where it could fit in. I really liked the explanation of the word um, enthusiasm comes from the Greek phrase entheos which mm-hmm. roughly translate to translates to God inspired having God yes. in you or being in the presence of God and um, one of the other things, in getting to your point of the archetypes, particularly the mentor being more of an energy. And again, earlier we talked about it being a mask that characters can put on. Yeah. The hero, um, one iteration of a hero could be the loner hero, which is someone who is estranged from society, usually the wilderness, however that really is, is their home and uh the journey or the adventure typically is with a group and then they kind of return to that isolation which is their ordinary world but sometimes there are stories where they don't necessarily come in contact with other people um like for example with castaway yes you do have wilson his friend but is that not just really him kind of projecting another part of his personality right so in those loner solo one-man show kind of stories this is a great example of this concept of it being an energy that is a mask being put on another character that being this concept of enthusiasm of or a passion for whatever it is that's like inspiring them to kind of uh, propel the story forward yes it is that mentor mask of like, Wow, I'm really passionate about I don't know. I, I guess if we're gonna go with Castaway, this like drive to get home and then these skills that he's learning of like building a boat and survival skills. It's like whenever those moments of enthusiasm and inspiration pop up, it's like he's popping that mentor mask on of like, oh, it's like I just had, you know, light shine down on me and this like godlike knowledge just presented itself to me. Um, So it's neat to think about the mentor, the mask situation in a really tricky story like that of one person.
0: Uh, Well, Wilson wears many masks in that story.
1: Right. That's true. That's true.
0: Um, It's because, I mean, that's a great example of, of how this object really, just this material object, he... It, it, it's him. It's the energy that he's drawing from this, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is that people want to believe in, that higher being, uh, higher self, whatever people, you know, however people want to phrase that. I'm not mm-hmm. going to, you know, go too far in, in, in any side of that, but um, it is, it's, it's him drawing that, but it's, it, he's, he's putting it all, he's channeling it through this volleyball. Called that he's given a name. He's personified it. He calls it Wilson, even mm-hmm. though it says Wilson on... It's the name of the brand. Right. But he... He dresses it up, doesn't he?
1: Well, he puts, like, the bloody handprint on it that happens when he grabs it and throws it and then puts a face. And then I think right. at some point he, like, does kind of the fringe thing for the hair. Like a hair or something? Right. Yeah. So
0: it does take on these different masks, which, I mean, I'd have to go back and watch that because I haven't seen it in probably 15 years. Mm-hmm. But... I would venture to say that most of whatever energy is required in the story at that time, a lot of it is channeled through Wilson because it's the only other thing besides nature mm-hmm. that he can uh, draw energy through
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or at least be able to conceptualize these energies or this fear or this, this uh, whether different emotions he has to draw from this thing. Yeah, but they're but they're all his own. It, it, it's it's all his own. It's all his different shades of his own personality and psyche that he is putting onto this volleyball. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that absolutely that absolutely would apply to what well, we're talking about.
1: But I think even with, regardless of if it's like a, you know, you're stranded on an island kind of story of super isolated one man show, even with regular hero's journey stories, very traditional. I feel like that mentor mask still slips on even very subtly when your protagonist on their own, when they're going through their inner journey part of it, has an aha moment that gives them that enthusiasm to push the story forward and go towards their journey. I think even that could be considered a moment of this like mentor energy, although it's subtle, but it could be like wow, I really do have this skill and I can see that that skill is going to help me solve this problem. And so understanding that the hero can kind of like grasp that energy, use it for a moment, and then that passes and they keep going as the hero. It just reiterates the point of how the mentor archetype can manifest in many different ways, not just a single character. And even your mentor character isn't necessarily going to be this cliche mentor the whole time. Maybe they kind of go in and out of different mentors. Like with Wilson, you know, he could be seen as different styles. Mm -hmm. Or it's just an evolving person. I mean, I suppose, I don't have an example off the top of my head, but an antagonist could be a mentor at some point.
0: Yeah, sure. You know? I mean, even, uh, I mean, even when you look at, I mean, even Vader, at times, was a mentor. Yeah, totally. To Luke, was, was he uh, again? I mean, I mean, we we got into this before, but but a lot of it does come down to identification. What you identify, what the character identifies with, because in and I'll just use that Star Wars example as you know for for, uh, for what we're talking about is you have your 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 dark mentor in um, Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, and he's trying he believes in what he's doing he believes in the, the the emperor he believes in the cause that he is fighting for he is identified with that with the empire he's trying to bring his son over to his side saying i want to be i want a connection with you i want to be your father
2: mm-hmm.
0: however i'm trying to guide you to come and see the world that i the way that i see it Mm-hmm. Um, so there are those, t- and it, and there's, and it's met with rejection. Although at times there, you know, Luke has his moments of weakness where he starts to think, maybe that's what I do need to do. Um, maybe I, maybe that, that would be a better situation for me and my family. And, but yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's the one I can think of right off the top is, is I mean, th- those lessons, uh, yeah, sometimes it is a fallen hero that's, mm-hmm. that you're learning these lessons from and you have to decide, the hero has to decide what lessons uh, he's going to actually take and learn from because sometimes those lessons are ones better avoided and better not uh, not following through it.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, know. I, I'm glad that for this discussion we decided to kind of like throttle back on what section of the book we're talking about and instead of do read through all of the different archetypes and lump that into one i like that this is um kind of snowballing into a big Mm -hmm. discussion and i can see already that we're going to end up coming back to some of these points that we're making whether it's about star wars or castaway or whatever of mentor yeah but like the dark mentor or the fallen mentor i feel like then that you're starting to get into like the trickster territory and You know some of that stuff so i i think it'll be really neat to see it come together i mean just
0: and and i think vogler brings up goodfellas in this book um but again if you look at it from from you know that mentor um figure de niro's character is his dark mentor Mm -hmm. in in that world yeah those lessons actually you know absolutely serve their purpose in in giving um in giving him the, you know, the protagonist, the skills to survive in that world. In mm-hmm. that world of being a, a mobster in the late 70s, early 80s in, in New York and, and in Jersey. It's, those lessons are needed. Mm-hmm. He, you know, those, are, those allow him to grow in that world. Mm-hmm. But when the rest of society doesn't go along with the ideology that, that those people are living by in that whole culture then they're looked at as an anti-hero. Right. You know? So it it is, it's all kind of comes down to what these people identify with. Because everyone's out for good in their own mind.
2: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Everyone. doesn't matter which side of the, the, the you know, darkness and light or good and evil. Everyone thinks that they're on the good side.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, So whatever knowledge they're passing down, they think that it's good knowledge. Mm
2: -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: You know? Same as, same as your, uh, you know, your, your middle school uh, science teacher, you know, <laughs> who had very archaic—it's uh, it's, it's like some some lessons you don't, you know, you choose not to listen to it. And you carry on with your life. Right, right. But but I'm sure some of the kids in that class listened to what the she was saying. Right. <laughs> you know?
1: Well, that's that's a whole other can of worms we can open. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um,
0: just for just for this, uh, the last thing I'll ask you is now, as far as the mentor goes, I know that we had talked earlier about. Where she served as a mentor early in the storyline, what is his ongoing mentor? Because I think that he does have one, and it kind of talks kind of touches on what you were just saying about the this inner this inner mentor. Because he's writing letters, at least we're hearing it through voiceover. Joel mm-hmm. in, in uh, Love and Monsters, I'm sorry. Joel is writing these letters that we are hearing in voiceover.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's writing them to Amy. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like she is the inspiration or the spark, so to speak, that mm-hmm. gets him moving and is pushing him towards this ultimate goal, which he thinks is going to be love, and it's going to be thinking, he thinks he's going to be able to maybe have a family and to be involved in this romantic relationship with this girl. But that's what's driving the journey. Mm-hmm. But him talking and writing and having a, having a dialogue with her is very similar to what's going on with Wilson and Tom Hanks in, because think about his other partner is a dog. Right. It doesn't talk, but they have their own way of communicating.
1: Well, I think that gets back to the point of the, um, the inner journey with the hero that that enthusiasm can act as the mentor for that, that inner portion. And I know there is also the inner mentor, which is more of like a code, so I don't think that applies to this per se, but it's that enthusiasm, whether it's for love or Amy or drawing, that's kind of putting those props or those pieces or those breadcrumbs along the way, as we talked about the planting of the information and motivating the hero. His inner dialogue absolutely is that. Um, but
0: but here here here's the thing is that his mentor, Amy, that he is having a dialogue with through his thoughts through his letters she is a creation of something that he's made up in his head that whatever he's writing whoever he's writing to doesn't exist she even I mean, right. she's changed right so he's created this mentor figure in his own mind oh which that's is, which is her yeah which he has done himself but really it's him right it's his reflections on that on what right. he thinks she would want him to do right it's really him
1: his projections of the ideology, yeah. just like mm-hmm. Tom Hanks does with Wilson and Castaway. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so this this film, even though it is very formulaic and pretty predictable as far as some of the beats and characters and all that, it just shows, again, how um, layered this concept of a mentor for an archetype as well as other archetypes too, but specifically the mentor is... All over the place and can be a like fleeting moment of that enthusiasm or that godlike moment or thought or voice or inspiration or whatever and it can manifest as characters that hold steady as a mentor throughout it can be you know ever evolving that mask is constantly moving and i think that they do that really well in this film um yeah
0: yeah, that that energy definitely shifts to a lot of different faces in this. Definitely, uh, definitely. The uh, the I think the last thing I'll say, the one thing I thought was kind of that I think I think they did it well with with a lot of these uh, in a lot of these scenes. Which, yes, like you said, a lot of this. Yeah, we can kind of predict predict a, a number of things, and you know, and a lot of them, you know, came to fruition. But they also definitely played with the uh, adventure tropes, definitely, and uh, and also with some of these uh, these journey tent poles. They definitely played around with with some of those, and and kind of flipped them on their heads, or uh, or actually just came right out and made a joke about it. I mean, I mean, think about everybody talks about you know save the cat as as a way to show the hero's empathy. I think that the Kiro had already been established how empathetic he was.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So when we have that moment where it's time to save an animal, what actually happens in this story is he gets saved by a dog. <laughs> yeah. So right. it fl- it flips it, whereas that's your save the cat moment or save the, save the uh, innocent creature moment. Right. Um, he's the one who is the innocent, uh, defenseless creature. And this dog who's been living out on the surface for seven years or whatever, saves him. Mm -hmm. That completely flips that. Right. You know, but that moment's still there. And it, and it, and it creates this bond between the two of them, which is the same bond that probably would have developed had he saved the dog, Mm -hmm. you know, because he does save the dog from a life of isolation and they become friends. Yeah. But, um, but, I, I, again, I thought that there was a few times in this movie where they kind of played around with things, and it, it had a nice little payoff.
1: Yeah. And that's another storyline that I wish they would have explored more, although they did set it up for a sequel, so maybe we'll get an answer. But the dog's when owner...
0: The earlier, when I asked the question earlier about whose story would you follow, want to see, the dog. mine was Boy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd like to see how he got to where he... Uh, where he was and you know what the last thing i'll that i'll say about the, the men because i'm starting to see it more and more um and i and i and i think it's pretty creative and, and, and it really can show you how these energies and how people can wear different masks mm-hmm. and um really the first time i kind of that it kind of came on my radar was with the with the uh the broadway musical i'm sorry with the with the book uh wicked where they show it all told from the wicked witches perspective Mm-hmm. Where we now see like, oh, wait a minute, uh, you know Dorothy was kind of ruined what this lady had going on. I understand why she was so you know resistant mm-hmm. to, to 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 all that, but and uh, was bitter, but uh, you're starting to see it more like even um what did I think of when I was going through here? Oh, with the fallen heroes and the dark, um, if anybody watches Cobra Kai um Johnny Lawrence, the character who, you know, Daniel Daniel uh, LaRusso beats in the Karate Kid, he is the ultimate. Um, you want to talk about a stereotypical, uh, character? I mean, he he was the face of the '80s, blonde hair, blue eyed bully, high school bully. Mm-hmm. I mean, that guy. And I think it's a reason why he probably didn't work for 20 years because everybody looked at him like, oh, that's Johnny from The Karate Kid. He's, right, he's, he's, a, he's type cool cast bowling. yeah. Uh, I think the only other thing you saw him in was Hot Tub Time Machine and he was playing that same kind of role. <laughs> right. Anyway, Cobra Kai tells the story from his point of view and you start to realize, oh, this kid was abused at his, you know, by his rich stepfather. He, did, you know, he, he, he didn't identify with anybody at school. He meets this crazy old Vietnam veteran who's teaching karate mm-hmm. down at the strip mall. And this, and this guy's hooked, and is, fo- is going to follow this dark mentor into whatever, you know, whatever dark shit he's got going on. And now everyone identifies him as being this, you know, this, you know, this uh, crazy sensei type guy. But now, when you tell, see the story told from his side, it's like, wow, the Karate Kid is the antagonist. He's the one who's, who come, He's the new kid at school who's taken his girlfriend. Beating him up at the school. day. De- it's like, wait a minute, this is a totally different angle on things with a totally different point of view. But it shows you how when you see things told from a different point of view, they're the good guy, they're the hero in their story. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and it, it's it's just some of these stories where you know just recently the, the Cobra Kai one, when when you can make Daniel LaRusa a a villain. That just goes to show me there's a lot you can do with these energies and and there's it's infinite it's infinite
1: well as they say history is told by the victor so Mm -hmm. yeah stories can be told from different perspectives and it can change your understanding of the story completely and i think that's a it's a good takeaway um for anybody who might be listening to this podcast of if you're a writer trying to get into writing too and you feel stuck with your story or it feels expected and that kind of thing well consider what would the story look like from the antagonist perspective or somebody else's perspective and that might be a really fresh angle on the story that helps give it more of a i don't know more layers or be more dynamic or more interesting or challenging too so yeah it's a really really cool point all right anything else you want to
0: i think we uh, i think we covered everything that yeah, I think we're good. Sweet. The um, I think the only thing, other the last thing, who knows if we'll use it, but um, just with the psychology of everything, it really does. <clears throat> when you think about it, it really does come down, to, you know, at the root of all this. You know, depending on how you want to look at emotions and everything, is. Joel wants the human race to continue on. He wants it to survive. There's also, and, and when he is stuck inside this this colony underground, and he still is taking on this childlike role, and he's in his mid 20s, and he's seen all the people around him, um, again, I admit their soulmate or their their you know their 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 sex partner, someone they can just, you know it you know, enjoy in, the, in this life of hell. Um, and he doesn't have that. They even show you that uh, a, a few months prior to the story beginning, they just had their first child born in the colony. Mm-hmm. It's like, so he has to be thinking, I want to actively participate in, in, in this game of life and to procreate, whatever. But in order to do that, he's not in a situation where he's going to be able to make that happen. You know, that, that primal need of... Wanting your legacy or whatever to continue. and I think biologically that's kind of in everyone's psyche, on a, a collective uh, unconscious level. but mm-hmm. that is at the base of a lot of this. Is for him to be able to survive, for his you know, for him to be able to survive through this, he wants to be able to have a romantic relationship, which gives him the potential to procreate. You know, and when you look at it, think of the themes there. It might be a little bit deep, but he wants this human species to continue on. And in order, you know, there's, like I said, there's a, it's a very deep level. But the primal instincts there are, I have to procreate. I have to get 90 miles to the beach in order for that to happen. I will risk my life for that to happen. Right. You know, Um, and that is how the circle of cycle of life continues on is that essentially we're all risking our life to for the next generation for, mm-hmm. for, for the next uh for the for the following um humans to to uh to come you know you know and hopefully you have something to leave behind and, and you uh you made an impact on that world but i think that's at the at the very foundation of, of of what his uh his motivation is i think that's there mhm
1: mhm yeah, I think you're and right. I
0: know that and, and Campbell gets into it a little bit more in depth when he starts getting into like the chakras and the energy systems of the body. But he, he does talk a lot about how certain emotions and certain needs, you feel it in certain parts of your body. Right. Um, those where those emotions will, will build.
2: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm.
0: they need to be, you know, either released, you know, that energy has to be released in some way or, or has to be uh, dealt with in some way. But, um, yeah, I thought it was on a very primal level. That's, you know, it is. It's human. Uh, it's it's for humans to exist.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to that note, too, I think it'd be interesting to pick apart good stories and in, instead of from a perspective of what's your A story, your B story, your C story. It almost seems like, and I don't know for sure, but it seems like you could almost pull a story apart of, from like the hero perspective or whatever um what is the id story the ego story and the superego mm-hmm. story of the primitive mm-hmm. the normal day-to-day self and then the like um the subconscious or the you know that that kind of thing not subconscious the conscious self mm-hmm. uh the right and wrong the angel and devil kind of thing um yeah
0: I, th- I think that, um, I think Vogler was probably one of the f- first ones that really kind of, that kind of got into that. I mean, I think I've heard him lecture, uh, on just that. He calls it the inner and the outer journey, you know, mm-hmm. we, we talked about before, but, um, but yeah, well, you're talking about, it, it's almost going into another layer of that, um, is why are they going on this outer journey? What purpose, what function is that serving for the ego? Right. You know, and how much of that, um, yeah, it, that's, that. It's an interesting point, especially when it comes to character development and backstory, you can really build upon some of those things. If you get three, four, you know, really impactful moments in that character's life mm-hmm. that happens prior to your story beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can really layer in some, uh, some pretty ascent because everyone's flawed in their own ways and if you can take those flaws and have kind of a foundation for why they are the way they are right and then to build a story based on challenging those flaws putting them in a situation that best challenges those that you know those flaws but also you know gives them a little chance because of this particular skill set they have that's that's really what a lot of the story is is trying to get them in positions that they are going to constantly be tested and constantly, like we talked about before, grow. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that that's absolutely something, you know, I'd I'd actually – I would definitely be up for looking, you know, deeper into is uh, the layers you were just talking about.
1: Right. Well, and seeing how well-developed a character is in a story of do they – Do they stick to, and taking into consideration they're going to arc and change, and so some of this might shift, but at least from the get-go, what are their primitive urges, and do they follow that? What would be their morals and ethics, which would be the superego, and do they stick to that code? And then kind of their more generic, influenced by everyday life, would be the ego, that self. Um, which I think that's the part that when we break down what's this character's like a story, b story, or motivation, a b c. I think more often than not, it focuses very heavily on the ego part, but doesn't get into the upper and lower ends of that spectrum too.
0: Well, well, I, I think uh, I mean even the, the the mentor archetype. I mean that really is <clears throat> at least in in. I, and I'm, I'm trying to think if it also works for the dark mentors but at least right now it it does work with um,
2: it's the, know, the, 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 conscious. the the good it's mentors
0: the, is that it's right. that higher self right it, I mean, it's that's the super the ego it's, yeah it's them looking at themselves and saying, okay this is my higher self mm-hmm. it, it, it's me you know if if i you know if, if i if I am enlightened if I finally reach that moment of enlightenment, and then I can carry on, it's like that's what the mentor embodies. Right, um, is that the, the hero's chance, or it kind of gives them a direction to go to to reach the highest, the higher version of themselves.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You
0: know, and um, but it, but again, the dark mentors can also show them. Basically, that is what it's showing them. It's like, hey, if I follow that route, then I'm, you know, that I'm working for the emperor. Now I'm, now I'm destroying galaxies. Right. Can I be, can I be cool with that?
1: Well, I think it's the that's, that's standard a question that
0: every hero has to answer. Can I go the easy route, or easier route, yeah. which will give me, provide me with safety and provide me with uh, security? But it's, uh, but that's not, that's not self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the difference between that dark mentor and the hero, as the hero finally answers that and says, no, that's not what I'm gonna do because I have to sacrifice those things that I think I want or have to have, I have to let go of that. I have to let go of me living in a, you know, me having everything, you know, money, you know, uh, the sexual partner of your dreams. and Yeah, it's them saying, hey, for the betterment of everyone else, for the for everyone's good, you know, well-being, I have to not, you know sacrifice some of this and let that go, mm-hmm. and not be so greedy that I feel as though I'm above everyone and I deserve that. It's, right? Yeah. Okay. I can let that go because it's better for everyone. Right. Right. Um, we're usually that dark mentor, stayed in their greedy mindset.
1: Right. It's the angel or devil on your shoulder, whichever yep. way you want to go, which both. Are forward trajectories, but just in a darker, lighter. Oh, you can world, grow you in know? both ways. You can exactly. And, uh, yeah. Right. Right. You can grow to become more of an anti-hero, or you can continue on the proper hero's journey.
0: Both yeah. can and work. And that's why. And that's why when we were talking about growth earlier, I didn't want to say positive growth because that it doesn't always have to be positive growth, because some stories end tragically. Right. Um, the one I kept thinking about. I don't know why I was thinking about. You ever see Leaving Las Vegas <laughs> with uh, uh, Nicholas Cage so. and oh god, why am I forgetting the other girl's name? Oh, that stinks. Um, was it Elizabeth, Elizabeth Shue from Karate Kid? No, <laughs> it's another. Everything's I'll Karate Kid. <laughs> Every, I know. That'd be that'd be weird if it was. But um, the uh, his character. I mean, it's it's awful because it's like this guy, he means well, and he's and he's teaching her good like lessons about life that she needs for her you know for her life after this story, but within the movie, his story ends tragically. It's like mm-hmm. that's what happens when you can't get out of this life, when you can't get out of this dark world of working in casinos. It's like he's the example of you have to get out. It, it is a matter of life and death. There's your example. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's not its not a mentor you're going to follow in their footsteps, but you're going to see the footsteps they took and say, you know what, I'm going to figure out a different path.
1: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Learn the lessons. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys all for listening to today's episode. Um, next week, we are going to be talking about one of my favorite films of 2020, which was Promising Young Woman. And I believe we're talking about the Threshold Guardians and the Shadow Archetype. So make sure that you study up and watch the film and tune in as we dive into that one. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time.